I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 86, I'm going to talk to John and Rachel Buckholtz from Milan, Italy. They share about Rachel and her son Ben's near-death experience during delivery. How John and Rachel met in Kids' Kingdom at the age of five years old. How their family's faith inspired them to seek the mission field. How their decision to, quote-unquote, just say yes to God has guided them onto the mission field what it takes to go on the mission field, how to prepare for any mission, and finally, how they fight and overcome mission fatigue, how their love for the people in their church keeps them fighting for God. All this and more on episode 86 of the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on the podcast, I've got John and Rachel Buckholtz from Milan, Italy. I'm so happy to be able to talk to them. They've been missionaries for seven years in one of the largest cities in Europe. And I'm looking forward to talking to how God is working through their lives, some of the challenges they've faced, and what they've learned. John and Rachel, welcome to the program. Thank Thanks you. so much for having us. It's, I've heard about you so many times, and especially when COVID hit, that was something where your name came up because of how Italy was hit early on and pretty hard. And so um, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. Now, you guys both became Christians in Boston in kingdom families. Let me ask you, how do you think your upbringing prepared you for the mission field? Yeah, I feel like we got so many blessings from God to grow up first and foremost, to grow up in Christian families and to see how a Christian family really works. Um, We were so fortunate to be able to be raised and to even see firsthand what living like a disciple that wants to make other disciples, that wants to help the kingdom grow, that wants to be used Mm -hmm. by God. We saw that in our parents growing up. And I think that was really our first example and training as missionaries right there at home. Yeah, for sure. I think it's also being being far from home. It's very comforting to know that we have the support and encouragement of of our families, of our parents, and I think that even makes our job as missionaries even easier. Um, and I think that's something that we've kind of felt all along is okay. We've been given so much spiritually speaking. We are very rich spiritually speaking. And we want to give back. We want to give from what we've been given. We want to give that to others. So we feel the support. Especially growing up in the Boston church, there's so many blessings, so many resources, but there's also a strong connection to Europe. Mm -hmm. My second home growing up was my best friend's house who happened to be coming back from the mission field in Europe, growing up with John and Carol McGurk as my second parents, it was easy to hear French being spoken in the house and wonder, oh, this is so cool. And uh, introductions made and getting to know people and hearing about the mission work all over the all over the world, really, um, from churches sent by Boston. It was just it, it felt like, you know, 
that's sort of the cutting edge. That's the adventure. That's where I want to be. That's awesome. Now, you guys knew each other from pretty early on. Now, were you guys set up? I mean, when did you guys know that you were going to get married? Can you tell us a little bit about your courtship? (laughs) Well, we first became friends in kids' kingdom classes, you know, when we were somewhere around the age of five. We first dated in high school, then took a little break from that because we needed to mature and grow up and figure ourselves out. Um, And then we started dating again in college. And well, I can say when I first knew that I wanted to marry him was actually only a few months after we had started dating the second time. And a a very well-meaning, good-hearted brother who I respected talked to me and told me that he was concerned because he felt like I could definitely do ministry, but he wasn't sure that John could. And he was concerned that that was going to become a problem that I might have to give up that dream for John. And he encouraged me to consider that. And I was like, no, I I'm not worried about that, but I respected him. So he asked me to pray about it, which, you know, when somebody encourages you to pray about something, you probably should pray about it. So I prayed about it for a day. And then I came back and, (laughs) and told him that I respected him and appreciated his perspective, but I thought that that he was wrong, that that if John wanted to do ministry in a full-time, you know, paid ministry staff capacity, that he certainly could. But that for me, that was not the most important thing. It was more important that that John be my my life partner in the gospel. And whatever that meant for my career in whatever career I ended up in, that was it was more important for me that I be with John. And that's when I realized, when I realized that I cared more about being with John than I did about the dream of working in full-time ministry, I kind of realized, oh, okay, I definitely want to marry this guy. Yeah. And sometimes God gives you both, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm grateful. um, I'm, I'm grateful for even the hard times when we were broken up or the hard times uh, where there was unsureness because um, it really helped both of us grow a whole lot. And we started dating when we were young, when we were seniors in high school, that relationship didn't work out for so many reasons, but mostly because we just weren't spiritually mature enough to have a really good spiritual and romantic relationship. But I feel like God really sort of guided our steps, protected us even from doing too much damage to each other. (laughs) And once we did figure it out, I mean, I, I, I definitely felt really inspired by Rachel and who she was and the, the spiritual qualities that she had um, that for me, it was, uh, it was hard to have eyes for anyone else. Once, once sort of the scales fell off when I was about 17 years old. And, and so things went along that way. And when we finished, as we were finishing college, we got, we graduated from school, got married, started working in the full-time ministry all in the span of about six weeks. So it was kind of a a rush that was back in 2010. (laughs) That's crazy. Okay. So a lot's happened in the last 11 years. How did, can you just quickly share, share with us how you got from there to Milan, Italy? Yeah. Yeah. When we were students, we started working as part-time interns. And I, I included as part of the story because, you know, God gives us so many opportunities to serve. And if you want to do something great, you just got to start saying yes. Yeah. When God 
presents opportunities. It can be the smallest things like somebody's got to take care of the baptistry and make sure it's set up. I was like, okay, yes, I got a car. I can do that. You know? And I just started doing things and it really got us going. So then when we got married and started working in the full-time ministry, it was just kind of a progression of that spirit. We really, if we have an opportunity to serve God, how could we say no? And so we said yes. And we kept saying yes. And that led us to uh, being full-time um, campus ministers in the Boston church and serving with incredible people that mm-hmm. trained us and loved us that are close friends to this day, like Kevin, Melissa Miller and Glenn and Danielle Petruzzi and many others. And, uh, but at that time they were actually beginning a school called the new England school of missions, where they wanted to train a new generation of missionaries mm-hmm. to go lead churches, to go start plantings, just to go and serve and do big things. And that really, you know, gave us some structure to be able to learn the ropes. We got to hear from amazing missionaries um, like Scott and Lynn Green and many others that are heroes of ours mm-hmm. um, through that. And I, I, I think we continue to say, yes, we did campus ministry for a couple of years, which was great. Then we did youth and family ministry for a couple of years. And that really prepared us yeah. in a great way for doing more than just go share your faith with a bunch of students and try to study the Bible and baptize with as many as possible, learning how to really influence, how to work with families, work with with people that are not your age and to really just kind of see God use you in a different way. And so I feel like we had the whole preparation, but meanwhile, like the dream of going on the mission field specifically to Europe had been there for a really long time. Maybe even Rachel had it earlier than I did. Yeah, I had had that. I had had a dream to serve in Europe somehow, serve churches in Europe somehow since since I was a young teen. That that was a dream from very early on. I, partly the relationship with the McGurks and then also other connections. I became email pals with a girl my age that was living in France. Um, and so for me, it just, yeah, it had been a dream for a long time and something I had been praying about for a long time, just praying that God would give me opportunities to, to serve in Europe somehow. Um, and so then, yeah, when, when, when an opportunity presented itself, it, it felt like it was God finally saying, and here you go, this is that dream, that thing you've been praying for. Um, cause I, I actually studied French for, for a long time, um, in high school and in college, I minored in French and tried to really keep working on my French thinking that that would, you know, that that would help that maybe I would be in France. Um, and there wasn't, there wasn't an opportunity in France at that time, but then there was an opportunity in Milan. So, yeah. Yeah. That was a crazy, crazy time. We had had a kind of our hearts and mindset that, okay, we'll probably end up in French speaking somewhere. Cause we both speak some French. And God had some other plans. We weren't looking to come to Italy, but uh, Italy came a calling through our boss's boss. The lead evangelist of the Boston Church asked us to get breakfast, and that wasn't a normal occurrence. So he said, oh, something's <laughs> going on here. And, uh, and it's always breakfast meetings, you know, um, before church. And he was like, listen, the, there's a couple that's been serving faithfully in a church in Milan, Italy. They need to come back soon. What do you think about Italy? And we said, well, we need to think about it. We need to pray about it, but I'm excited to think about it. Yeah. And I'm excited to pray about it. We took a little while and we said, we'd love to go meet the church yeah. and see what, if, you know, if we feel like we can serve, if they feel like we can serve effectively. But again, if God gives you an opportunity to serve, how can you say no? Yeah. 
And that's, that was, that's, how that's kind of been our motto through the, all of this. Yeah. And what, and every time God keeps opening these doors, we just keep walking through them. And it, that's not to say that it's always easy or that, you know, that, that there's not hard times yeah. that sometimes it feels like, what are, what, what did we just do? What decision <laughs> did we just make? Um, but I think God always blesses, uh, that kind of faith that says yes. Mm. And that kind of faith that says, yes, I want to serve. Yes. I want to go. Uh, who am I to say no for yeah. such a time as this? I was put in this place. Let's, you know, let's let God do something by saying yes and allowing him to do so. So yeah, when, when was that when you were invited to go there? 2000 in the end of 2015, 13, we were 13 the end of 2013, we were first presented the opportunity. We made our first visit. (laughs) That was the end of October. We made a visit in December. And by the end of December or January, I think the things were moving. The visa process had already begun. Okay. So so you're, you're pretty young at the time. Yes. We were 25. I was 25. You were 26. 25 and 26. Yeah. Okay. So that must've been a big step just to go, okay, we're going to do this. Yeah, we had just been appointed evangelist and women's ministry leader in the Boston Church. Um, we had, you know, growing youth and family ministry. Um, we all of our family is in Boston, so it was easier to stay put. Yeah. But we felt like, with all of the riches that God had given us and all of His spiritual blessings, we we needed a place to be able to serve. We needed a place to be able to give um, in a greater way. And, uh, and that ended up being Milan. Yeah, no, we, we walked out of that breakfast and, and we kind of looked at each other and we were like, I mean, I said to John, if, if the Milan church wants us, I'm packing my bags. Like there's no way, like if God is asking us to serve, and this is clearly from God, we didn't seek this out. If God is asking us to serve, there's no way I'm going to say no. Like I've been praying for this my whole life. And what am I going to do when God gives me an opportunity to serve? I'm going to say, actually, I, I want to stay where it's comfortable. I'm going to just sit on top of this big pile of blessings that you've given me, God, instead of going out, stepping out on faith and serving. Like, no, no way. I can't do that. I'm, if God calls me to do something, then, then I'm going to go. And it was so clear to us that, that God was calling us to that because we had been praying about this for so many years um, and obviously continued to pray before any final decisions were made, but wow. yeah. And that was seven years ago. That was, yeah, that was seven years ago. And time flies. Now, Rachel, you had a near death experience giving birth to your son, Ben. Yes. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I can, I can tell you what I remember. Um, I mean, it was the whole pregnancy was very difficult. Um, I was really sick, um, and, couldn't, I was not functioning very well. Um, could hardly get out of bed because of how sick I was the first couple of months. Um, and then I started to feel better and had kidney stones and was in the hospital for a few weeks with kidney stones. Um, then kind of started doing better again. Um, and then three weeks before my due date, I woke up with the, the worst migraine that I've ever had, which now we know was because of sudden onset high blood pressure, um, eclampsia. And I basically fell asleep that night and John woke up to me having a grand mal seizure um, and had to, I, I don't remember 
a lot of this, but he had to figure out how to dial an emergency number in Italy because it's not 911. He had to Google what number to call, call them, and then just got on his knees and prayed. Um, I don't remember a ton. I, I remember being scared. I remember him telling me an ambulance was coming. I remember that they couldn't find our son's heartbeat at first. So we didn't know if we had lost the baby or not. Um, and then I got to the hospital and I was still in, I was still in danger. My blood pressure was still very, very high. Um, and so basically they just went about trying to save my life and trying to save the life of, of our son, um, which they did successfully and were, were very grateful for. Um, but then certainly the recovery was also very difficult because, because it was, because of the situation that I had, the syndrome that I had, they had to know about every pain that I felt because it can be a sign of further complications. So I had to recover from a C-section with no pain medication and try to figure out how to feed a newborn while not sleeping and recovering from a seizure and a C-section with no pain medication, all in a foreign language where I just could not figure out what was going on. My roommate kept asking me, where's your family? Why isn't your family here to help you? And I kept telling her they're across the ocean. They're not here. And she kept saying they should be here. And I was like, I know, but they're not. Stop asking me. And so that was, that was a rough time. Yeah. It was not. Yeah, that was rough. And I had to really, I had to wrestle after that in prayer with God. I remember just going on prayer walks around and around a little garden near our house with, uh, with our son in the stroller, just wrestling because a lot of people said, wow, you're so lucky to be alive. You're so fortunate. Look how God protected you. And I was like, that is true. But also I feel like he could have protected me from the thing that he ended up protecting me from. Mm. Um, and so I had to wrestle with, with God in prayer and, and it's not that in the end I got any answers as to why necessarily, but I, I would say I learned a lot more about surrender and, and realizing that I, I am not entitled to an easy path on this earth, no matter what I give up for God, no matter how I serve God, I'm not entitled to an easy life. I'm not entitled to salvation. I'm not entitled to grace, but God gave his son so that I could have salvation that's already far more than I deserve. And so I can, I can just continue to walk in grace and, and be grateful for that. Wow. Okay. So that ties in to a recent book that you guys helped contribute toward called The Mission. And that's a reissue of a compilation type book uh, put out by IPI. And it's different church leaders and, and ministry leaders writing on, on that topic. And I've, I've read it. I read your, your chapter. You guys are great writers. I was so happy um, just to read it. And Rachel, in that cha- chapter, you talk about your, um, you talk about perseverance. You talk, you share about how your expectation was that in, in return for your sacrifice going on the mission field, God would make your life easier. Now, yes. in, in view of what you just shared, how has your thinking changed over time? Well, I, I think that experience actually has, is probably the biggest thing that has changed my thinking, um, that I didn't even realize that I had kind of this almost entitled mindset of 
if I sacrifice for God, then God must give me this, that, or the other thing. God must bless me in some way if I sacrifice for him. I didn't realize that I had that mindset, um, but that is not a godly or biblical mindset. You know, that's not, I said, Jesus is Lord, knowing that I did not deserve salvation. I did not, I didn't even deserve to have Jesus be my Lord. And yet God loves me, offers me abundant grace, offers me life on earth and and eternal life after. And so, yeah, I just, I guess I just had to kind of have a repentance, a metanoia, a mind change, um, and a true surrender to God. So now I, it's changed the, yeah, it's completely changed the way, the way I think, um, and my walk with God. And I would say deepened my understanding of grace that, that, God's grace is really, that's where all the blessing is. It's, it's not about this life and it's not about, um, it's not about something I can earn. And I think in, in logic, I kind of knew that, that I can't earn anything. I can't earn blessing. I can't earn grace. Um, but I think in my heart, there was still part of me that thought I could and was trying to, um, and that experience I think helped me to, surrender to God and ultimately surrender to just walking in his grace in a new and different way that honestly frees me up so much more. It is so much easier to serve when I'm giving out of the grace that God pours out onto me instead of trying to give out of my own strength or give out of my own knowledge or something like that, even out of my own love. Um, so yeah, that, that experience and motherhood in general have, I would say, totally changed my life and changed mm-hmm. the way I think about God and changed the way I think about serving the kingdom and, yeah. and serving the mission field. Well, I think that that's what's so powerful. And I, I think that's, you know, this is just my feelings. Like it's, that's kind of our default human nature thinking, don't you think? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's like when Paul talks about, Hey, you know, stand firm and then stern stand firm then and don't let yourselves be yoked again to to this kind of thinking and it's our nature to go hey i'm i'm doing something for you god i'm doing you a favor now we don't we don't verbalize that but like hey i'm going on a mission field i'm sacrificing i'm not in the comfort zone now implicitly there you're like now god i need you to come through for me and i'm Mm -hmm. i'm waiting for the blessings and i think yeah. If we're honest, all of us feel that way. And I think that's what Jesus had such a hard time trying to communicate to so many people, starting with the Pharisees, but even the most spiritual people he ran into. It's it's really a tough concept. Any any advice for people who are wrestling with that, maybe, you know, the symptoms of that, the disappointment, the anger, the upset, the frustration with God, the feeling like, hey, you are not coming through on your side of the bargain. Hmm. Well, I, I think the probably biggest first and biggest piece of advice I would give is wrestle in prayer, go to God in prayer. Don't, don't run from God. And in those feelings of negativity, cause I've done that in the past before too, feeling like, well, I can't be disappointed with God. I can't be mad at God. That doesn't make sense. And it's not that I don't advise people necessarily to go to God and rant in anger or something like that. Um, but I think just going to God in vulnerability, asking for help. And that's, that was kind of 
that was my prayers really was God, I don't understand. I feel upset and I feel upset with you. And that doesn't make sense to me. Please help me. Please change my heart. Please just change my heart, change my mind. Just change me, God, please just change me. And that was what I repeated over and over again in, in those prayers. Um, and at some point I feel like God answered that prayer. God did change me, not because he gave me an answer necessarily, but just changed me. Um, I would also say deepening my understanding of grace. I think all of us deepening our understanding of grace, just that I don't see in the Bible that I'm supposed to be motivated by fear or by my own ability to measure up to something, but it's supposed to be Christ's love that compels me. Grace is, is the changing thing is the thing that changes everything. And so, yeah, for, for me, it was wrestling in prayer and deepening my understanding of God's grace. So I guess that would be my, my advice for others as well. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm assuming Ben is, is totally healthy and everything worked out. That's true. Yes. Okay. Yes. We're yeah. sorry. Maybe should have mentioned that before. We're very healthy and just fine. <laughs> That's good. Now, Jonathan, you wrote in your chapter, in your section, that fighting on the front line is the fiercest. And when we step up in faith, Satan starts throwing the punches. So aside from this difficult delivery that Rachel just shared about, how has Satan tried to knock you down? What what are you talking about when you when you share that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we all kind of know the different ways that Satan attacks us, but I feel the everyday attacks of just wanting to get discouraged, of just taking things personally, of like, I feel like he attacks my pride. He attacks my, uh, my sense of, of uh, what, what Rachel was talking about, like, oh, you've earned this kind of thing or whatever. He's, he, he attacks us on so many different levels, but I think some specific ways that I feel I can feel attacked are just getting, growing weary of doing good. Um, I think that's definitely a thing that we can feel as young disciples when we're first converted, everything is exciting and everything is, wow, this is just amazing. You have such great vision and dreams. And, but then when you, when you start getting down into it, it's, it's, it's harder than you thought. And I think mm -hmm. Satan attacks that and, and, and can kind of wear you down. I think Satan attacks us also through disappointment. You come with great dreams of we're going to baptize all these people and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it, if things don't go as quickly as you want them to, or things don't go exactly the way you feel like you, you had it plotted out, you can go, wait, is God with me? What is going on here? That, that, that disappointment and kind of doing things on your own time frame and at, at your own pace um, certainly is another way I think but I think he, he attacks us in all of the, our different sinful natures. He wants to get at, if, if we lack patience, he's going to attack that. And I feel that on the mission field um, because we sort of pay what I call the foreigner tax, the missionary tax of every day. You just got to work that much harder to just understand the street sign when you're walking, to understand the conversation. Every Every time you spend with someone, every time you, you know, you want to say a prayer with someone, you got to work that much harder to understand and then speak in that different language. 
you want to just send a package, you go to the post office. No, it's no, it's not done like that. You first have to go to this other place and then you have to do this and you have to do that. I mean, there's a hundred things that happen like that every day that it can just wear you down over time. And for me, Satan tries to get me frustrated. Satan tries to get me disappointed. Satan tries to get me in a place where I feel like you thought you were coming here to be useful and to do great things, but you're not very useful and you're not going to do great things. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I feel like that kind of spiritual battle Mm -hmm. that on top of, you know, you're fighting for people's souls and every Bible study that you're in, every person that's going through a hard thing in their faith, the, 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 the conflicts that can happen in the church with the people that you love the most, the people that you're closest to, the, the intensity that you feel it is raised um, when you're on the mission field. That, and I think Satan, I feel that, but I, I also feel like that furnace, that fire is very refining mm-hmm. for my faith. For just to use the example of what happened with Rachel, there was a lot there for her physically, for me more on the trauma, emotional end of things. But what I see now is that I can relate to people from a place of weakness, from a place of hard things that have happened in a way that I never could before. I can, I can understand and empathize with people that are going through things that I had never experienced before that now I can connect with them there and I can, I can help pull them up that God, that, that we can sort of find that ground. And I never would have even had that grace and mercy in me if it weren't for what, what we went through. Um, thinking about friends that have lost babies, you know, have had miscarriages, thinking of friends that have had really traumatic things happen with their kids. Um, it's, we're super blessed. Yeah. And, you know, Ben is doing great. Our kids are both super healthy. And, but I do feel like I can, I'm actually able to serve more and better, even if, you know, Satan has definitely taken his, his, his chunks off me. I've definitely taken my lumps. But in the end, if you persevere, you can come out with a pure, uh, a more pure and a, and, a, and a stronger, more battle-hardened faith. Okay, so now let's just talk a little bit about the city that you guys are in. Milan sounds like an amazing place. The metropolitan area, from what I read, is almost like 8 million people. It's like second largest city in Europe and in the continent next to Paris. It's a fashion center. It's an economic center. I mean, it sounds like a powerhouse city. Um, Maybe you can just share a little bit about the city and then what's the church look look like? Can you paint a picture of the church there? Yeah, the city is such a cool place. There's so many, it reminds me a lot of Boston in the sense that it's not the capital city of Italy. The one that everyone thinks of is Rome. Even Italians, when they think of the US, they think of Miami, they think of New York City, they think of LA or San Francisco. They don't really know much about Boston, but it Milan is such a cool place in that it has tons of rich history. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, it's the economic center. There's design and there's fashion. There's just it is a cool feel and a buzz in the city. Education. Um, the education system, the uh, all the best universities or most of the best universities in Italy are right here in Milan. There's some of the best in all of Europe, and so there's so many cool facets of Milan. And it's cool to be able to be in a church that's in the middle of all that. Yeah. Um, and our church is made up of 
about a third young people that we work most of our day-to-day ministry with people that are about 30 years old and younger, um, that are, you know, incredible disciples Mm -hmm. that are growing in their faith and really wanting to do great things for God. And then the other two thirds of the church is predominantly married couples. And then there are a few, uh, singles or single, um, like sp- the people with non-member spouses, um, were about half Italian and half everything else. There's a good <laughs> chunk of Americans. There's a good chunk of Latinos, uh, and Spanish speaking brothers and sisters. We have Africans in the church, um, that have come from Africa in recent years. We have a, a really uh, Albanians, mm-hmm. anything, anything. Uh, we have a lot of Filipinos mm-hmm. in the church. There's, I feel like there's Filipinos in every church around the world. They're, they're blessings to all the churches that they're in <laughs> all around the world. Um, so we're really a melting pot of different cultures, um, of different languages. And yet the unity and the bond that we share with one another is something, is something special. Yeah. I think one of the first things I noticed about the church when we first came here to interview is they, to me, they exude love. I mean, I know they're Italian, so they're expressive and they're a part of a passionate culture, but they are just a very loving people. They want people, they want to bring people into the family. They want to make people feel loved. They want, and I felt that, and I see them do that with everybody else that they're like, please come join us. We love you. We welcome you. Let us hug you. Let us cook for you. Let us serve you. Just, they're just a they're an incredibly loving, passionately loving church. Um, and that was one of the first things I noticed. And I love that about the church here. I, man, mm, I love our Italians. I love these people. They, they have our, our heart. I think, I think for me, the biggest reason why Milan reminds me of Boston is because they're both home for me. Uh-huh. So Milan feels like home too. Okay. So like how large is this church? There's like 50, 60, 30. What are we talking about? So COVID is really interesting in that it's allowed us to connect the same way with any disparate disciples all throughout Italy. So we've actually had people get restored. We've had a lot of Italians or a number of Italians move back to Italy during COVID because the job situation changed in London or whatever. And so now we're actually spread all through Italy. There's a good 10 disciples or so that are spread through Italy. So if we count all of those disciples with us, we're actually approaching 90 disciples wow. in Italy at this point, mm-hmm. um, which is the biggest the church has ever been. And it's super encouraging mm-hmm. that God continues to add to our number in yeah. crazy ways and yeah. expand our family even through COVID times. That's great. Now, let me ask you about that because this this was blew me away. My wife and I and, and two kids, we went on vacation a couple of years ago and we went to Rome. We went to Lawrence and and so a couple other cities, we went to Rome and realized there's no there's no kingdom church here in in Rome that, that we knew we knew of at the time. Maybe you know of something I don't know, but it shocked me. I'm like, oh my gosh! I mean, Rome is like Christian epicenter. How can there not be a church here? Can you explain the situation? What's gone on? It just seems like there should be a ton more churches. Are there any more churches scattered throughout Italy? What's this? What's the situation nationally? Yeah. So the church here in Milan was planted in 1991. We're coming up on our 30 year anniversary in November of this year. 
And the planting happened and the ambition was always, we'll go to Milan and then we're going to go to Rome and Venice and Florence and Bologna and and Napoli and everywhere else in Italy. And that was the focus. Many people on the mission team thought, oh, I'm just going to be in Milan as like a little pit stop just for a few years. And they're actually still here in the Milan church. And that serves as, I think, inspiration. They're still like, wow, a whole like nation to be conquered. But it can also be something that this church carries that, wow, there's still like unfulfilled dreams and unfulfilled potentials. Mm-hmm. And so as far as we know, um, there are not other ch- kind of kingdom-based, Bible-based churches, people that we were, we fellowship with and consider brothers and sisters. There are many great aspects of Italian culture, and there are many faithful people in Italy. I feel like there's a lot of uh, Corneliuses out there that just need to, that someone just needs to come and baptize their whole household. Uh, it's, I feel like there's that all over the place. And that to me is one of the reasons why we've been here for seven years. We first came when for three to five year commitment kind of deal. And we got to three years and we were like, Oh, you know, I don't feel like we could leave anytime soon. And then we got to five years. We're like, I still don't feel like we could leave anytime soon. It's been seven years. And we're kind of like, we can't, leave because we've been doing all of this work and we've been raising all these these amazing brothers and sisters up talking about these dreams of going all through Italy mm-hmm. we want to see it happen and we want to yeah. see it not like sometime in our lifetime from someone else but we want to be part of it right. and we want to get more people involved with it and we need to find reinforcements and we need to find people that just want to give and serve mm-hmm. or people that want to come retire to Rome or people that want to just you know take their vacation time and come three weeks and go to Venice and share their faith or whatever it may be. I mean, we can get, we got to get creative. We got to get bold. Um, But we certainly feel, wow, there are, you know, 62 million plus people scattered through this incredible country that need to hear the gospel in a really living, powerful way, in a way that they haven't heard it before. So we're, that's what excites us. That's what gets me going on my prayer walks every morning is just, oh man, like there's just, there's so much more work to be done Mm. with the gospel. Well, seven years, that's a long time to be on the mission field. How have you seen God work? Can you share any inspiration stories? Well, I think, I think for me, one of the biggest inspirations are, are the young people in this church and seeing seeing how they've grown up, um, probably about half of them were, were born into households of disciples, um, were raised in households of disciples, grew up in this church. And I would say about the other half have been met along the way, um, either in high school where they studied the Bible, you know, they were classmates with a disciple, um, with one of the teens in the teen ministry. Um, and they studied the Bible, got baptized as a teen or, um, studying the Bible, getting baptized in college. Um, but for, for me, they are one of the biggest sources of encouragement, their, their growth, their hearts, their zeal, their faith. Um, we, we've been able to be a part of a European school of missions that started three years ago. Um, and we have five students here that, that are a part of that. And, and they, and others, other young people have dreams. They dream passionately dream and passionately pray about being part of seeing the kingdom of God spread all throughout Italy. They want to be a part of mission plantings in other Italian cities. They want to serve the church here. They, 
they just desperately love God and want to serve God. Um, and that's really inspiring and encouraging for me to see not, not that the, not that the older people don't passionately want to serve God, but I think there's something about seeing young people decide that right now at the beginning of, of my adult life, I want to dedicate my life to serving God, whatever that means, wherever that might be. Um, for me that I think that keeps me, I think that keeps us going in a lot of ways of, okay, our, our work is not in vain that we, we get to be a part of this watching God mold these people, you know, we get to be a part of that. And that's really encouraging and inspiring. Yeah, I think one of the cool things, uh, anyone who's done mission work, anyone who's really even just tried to be evangelistic at work or in their school or anything knows, is that in the end, it's God who does it. And so as much as I want to be systematic, and I want to share my faith with this many people, and I want to convert this person, I want to do that, and I want to do that. In the end, I just see God's hand moving. And that's the thing that's the most exciting part, that God actually wants to use us. When Jesus did miracles, he said, like, you give them something to eat. And he gave them the baskets and they started spreading around the food. Yeah. Jesus did the miracle, but he did it through the people yeah. he was working through at the yeah. time. And he wants to do the same thing with us. And every, I wish I could tell the story of every single person oh, who's man. become a Christian. Uh, it's not amazing. that kind of podcast, but I'll, I'll tell you a couple. A person like Camila is one of our dearest, closest friends. And she was just at a party with some neighbors of hers and the neighbors just happened to know this other friend named Eliza. She was, I think a teacher or a, or a tutor of one of, of the girl who was having the birthday party in Camila's building. And her name is Eliza. She is one of the ones that came on the mission field that always wanted to go back to Rome because that's where she's from. But she's been in Milan for 30 years, been a faithful disciple, mm -hmm. was converted back in the Johnson's Bible talk and the arts and the arts and entertainment ministry in New York city as an actress came back to Milan and 30 years later, she's at a party uh, and she's always the life of the party. Yeah. And she meets this girl named Camila and she starts talking about God and she starts talking about her church and Camila over time, she's this incredible, faithful Catholic girl, but she sees something in Eliza and then in Rachel and the other girls. That's like, this is a way of, serving God that I've never seen before. And she's just intrigued. She becomes a Christian. She continues to serve and grow. And she's one of the students in the school uh, of missions um, here that has ambitions of going on mission teams, of being part of plantings, mm -hmm. of, of giving her life and using her life for the gospel. It's not always even just someone here in the church. I We've been so lucky to be able to work with people all over the world. There was a guy who came to Milan for business named James. He's from one of our churches in Australia. And he was at the gym one morning and he noticed another girl from, uh, he's originally a Kiwi. And he met, met another Kiwi at the gym. And he was like, oh, there's this girl, like, you know, she's from my country. Oh, I need to share my faith with her. Shares her faith, brings her to church the next day. And she becomes our sister. Her name's Olivia. She's back in New Zealand right now. She's about to come back to Milan and we're excited to have mm -hmm. her back with us. Um, the, I mean, there's so many more. I guess I'll tell one last story. Before we got here, there was another couple here named the Salippos, Joe and Annie Salippo. And many people know them because they've had so many contacts uh, all around the world and had such a great impact over the last 35 years of ministry. Um, and they converted a guy named Davide Nazares. He's a Filipino, um, but lived in Italy, an Italian citizen his whole life. 
And uh, so he was converted when the Salippos were here. And when we came, he was a shy boy that would barely come in our house. It would ask permission. Are you sure? Can I come in? Oh, thank you so much. You know, this, this little shy Filipino boy. But one of his dreams was to have an impact in his family. And so just so we've been studying the Bible with people, reaching out to people for years, but his, his heart was, I want to convert people in my family. These are people that are closest to me. And so just, I think it was two years ago, um, he finally, after years of reaching out to his, his, uh, his cousin, uh, got his cousin to come out to a Bible talk or come out to church. Uh, his cousin's named Aljon. Um, and he was, a uh, you know, as a kid, he, he grew up singing in the Duomo di Milano. You can Google it. It's one of the most beautiful places in the whole earth. One of the most beautiful buildings on earth. Um, he, we, he grew up singing there as a little Catholic Filipino boy. And I, I watched Davide study the Bible with his friend, with everything that he's learned from our time here in the mission field and starting a campus ministry and being able to study the Bible from the beginning to the end and baptize he put his hands under the water with his cousin, Aljon, and raise him up. And Aljon is way bigger than Davide and kind of gives him the bear hug and, pull, and holds him up out of the water, you know, <laughs> while he's in the water. And it's just, those are the kinds of things yeah. that there is just nothing like it. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like it. And it's what keeps us fresh and what keeps us young, yeah. even as we sometimes feel really tired and weary as our kids keep us up all night for various <laughs> reasons. That in the end, that's, you know, seeing God move is what really inspires me. It seems like Europe is a a really tough mission field. From everything I've heard, it's challenging. It's post-Christian. At one time, it was like the driving center, the thriving hub of Christianity. And yet now it seems like one of the most challenging places that you can have a mission team on. What do you think it's going to take to reach Italy and, in a broader sense, Europe? That's a really great question. I think I think back, and I thought Boston was a tough place to share my <laughs> faith. And relative to other places, it probably was. But nowhere have I gone than like that's anything like what we've seen here in Italy or even other places. I remember we got a little sneak preview when we went on submission teams while we were still students. And we found ourselves in Berlin one summer, just sharing our faith. And I remember just sharing my faith with someone and he looked at me, he turned, he looked at me and he goes, you know, I think that religion and Christianity has been the source of so many wars, so much suffering all over the world. Uh, And he cited, you know, the wars and Holocaust and all these different things. And he looks at me and he goes, and because you're doing with what, what you're doing and you're talking to me about this right now, I blame you. And he just turns and walks away. You know, that was in Germany. I shared my faith with another guy. He ended up being Iraqi. And he looked at me and he goes, your country ruined my home. You know, and I was like, oh, man, like this is tough. And we so years later, we come to Milan and it's not like that. It's an incredible place and they're incredibly loving. But it also takes somewhere. The average conversion is one to two years. Wow. Even the people that we're closest to, even the people that we reach out to, it usually takes us at least a year. It's not every single time, but on average, one to two years uh, to reach out to people because, yeah, as you said, we do live in a post-Christian world, at least here in in Europe. And we're not going to be the only place that kind of goes through that. What that means, practically speaking, is that people look down on the Christian faith. They, they view it as kind of anti-science, anti-modern. 
Um, and ultimately, I think we've become as a culture so individualistic that people don't see really what's in it for me. They don't understand that community element. Why would you do something for God? Why would you do something for your church? Why would you live your life that way? And it's become so centered around pleasure, what makes you happy, how you feel, that it takes a long time for people to see really the benefit by getting to know us and walking with us. And ultimately, I mean, I don't know if I'm the guy with all the answers. I really do feel like we're going to have to try stuff and we're going to have to work really hard just to figure it out. But what we have seen work is just the thing that always works, loving people. You love people and you show people the love of God. The darker the world gets, the brighter the light of God can shine in it. Whereas when you're in a place that's everyone's just a Christian, you know, your voice of, Hey, you should come try my church can, can kind of get a little drowned out by all the noise. Well, what makes your church so different than any other church? And you know, that, that I've definitely felt that at times in different places, but here we're not reaching out to Christians. Really. We're reaching out to people that are either atheists or inoculated Christians that have been inoculated against any real impact of the gospel in their lives. They were baptized when they were born basically, or, or right thereafter, they did all of their uh, little, you know, all the, all the customs. And then they've never been to church again, except for a funeral or, or, or a wedding. They don't see the utility in it. They don't get it. But when they get to know us and they get to see us and realize, whoa, this is different. It freaks them out, but it also makes them really curious and that over time, they can see the hope that we have, the joy that we live with, the close relationships that we have that don't just end because someone just moves on or someone doesn't feel like it anymore. They see the realness and the authenticity of the practical impact the gospel has in our lives. And that ultimately is what convinces them. I don't have nearly as many doctrinal wars as I once did. There's because by the time we have any studies that seem like controversial, they're not controversial at all because they're already knowing that what we have is way different than what they saw. And they saw that what we have works. And so they're really converted by, by the love of God before they're converted by any Bible study. And, and there's something deep and true about that, but it does mean that we cannot just be a church that is kind of, you know, we have our own thing and we live in our own circles. We have to be a church that really is in the world, but not of the world. We have to have friends. We have to be in our communities. Mm -hmm. We have to know people. We have to have people in our homes. We have to share what we've been given. Share our lives. We have to share the gospel. Exactly. I think that's a great, great example. It's not enough just to share the gospel. We have to share our love in our lives as well. In fact, maybe first. Mm -hmm. And the gospel will is actually so much easier to to swallow because they've already seen it and they already want it. That's great. Well, that's great advice to countries like the U.S. where I'm um, calling you from that's increasingly going in that direction from a firm Christian foundation to a growing dissolution or, or kind of a departure from its Christian foundations. And so I think your advice about just making a connection, the love, it can't be argued with. I mean, that's something that you just cannot, can't say anything about. So that's great. Are you guys connected to other churches throughout Europe? Tell me about the unity between the churches in Europe. 
Yeah, so we are part of this European School of Missions, which has students from churches all over Europe. Um, and pre-COVID times, we were meeting four times a year, which was great in terms of the lessons and the academic content, but also great just in terms of the relationships and the unity um, that it helps to form. Um, Europe also has, Western Europe, has um, a European Bible school also that they do, that they've done for years long before, um, long before we were here. That's been another thing that, that has tried to kind of create unity amongst the, amongst the European churches. There are, there are retreats, um, leaders retreats, there are teen camps, preteen camps, campus camps, campus retreats, campus conferences, you know, kind of I, I think there are just a lot of things that, that we and others have tried to do, tried to be a part of to help really forge those bonds of unity um, throughout the churches in Europe. And obviously that, that does not start with, with us, with two Americans coming in and moving here. I think that really starts honestly just with the, the faith and the perseverance of the European brothers and sisters who've been here for decades who've been through really hard times um, in the church, in their faith, in their lives, and have chosen to stay faithful to God and to each other and have tried to really create opportunities to build relationships with each other across country lines, city to city, different things. Um, and a lot of these things like EBS and the preteen and teen camps have been some of the ways that that they have tried to do that, that they've organized, um, that we've really just benefited from, that we've come in and gotten to be a part of. Yeah, it's amazing. I think there was a time where, you know, a lot of our churches sort of kind of going in their own directions. There was a little bit of isolation. And uh, one of the moms who's now an elder's wife in, uh, but has always been a, an amazing servant in the Paris church. She was like, our kids need camp. They need to be able to get away and they need mm -hmm. to be together. And not just with the kids from our church, but also the other French speaking churches, mm -hmm. nobody else is doing it. So I'm just going to organize yep. it and I'm going to get people to come mm -hmm. and, 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 and there it was, I mean, that was the beginning yeah. of camp, the camps, which now has connected a whole generation mm -hmm. yeah. of hundreds of European, uh, your, your, European kids, uh, that grew up in our churches. Mm -hmm. Uh, they are now the people that are doing the school of missions. Yeah. They are now the ones that are, you know, in the, the different ministries, the yeah. young ministries, they're really the future and the hope and so much work went into it yeah. from the couples like the Lenoins, uh, like yeah. the, like that, that are from Paris, like the Fenders who are from, uh, from, from yeah. Geneva, the, the Gruel from Geneva. Um, they did so much to hold things together. Um, there's so many other people we could say the, the Brukas in Munich, the Vosagians in Berlin. I mean, these brothers and sisters really fought yeah. to stay connected and really fought to stay unified and now it's really cool to be able to connect with all these different churches and strategize about, hey, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? How are we going to mm -hmm. start a second generation of mission work in Europe? And that's mm -hmm. what's being discussed. Um, we're really grateful for our brothers and sisters 
around the world, but especially in the United States that give in incredibly generous ways, Mm -hmm. specifically from the Midwest and New England churches. That's why we can be where we are is because there's a mission society that helps fund us. And that mission society and all the participants in the US and also in Europe, that creates this cool intersection Mm -hmm. of Europeans and Americans that have one goal, and that's just to evangelize Europe. And I think that's the thing that holds us together, the love of brothers and sisters wanting to be together and wanting to, to, you know, to have our kids be converted and have a second generation. And then the work that still needs to be done. And those things have, have kept the churches together. I remember when COVID first broke out, Italy was a real hotspot in terms of infections. And I, I think I remember you, Rachel, talking about it. I can't remember what it was, whether it's Disciples Today um, can you tell me a little bit about the impact of COVID on the church and how do you see COVID uh, and the changes that that's brought about advancing the gospel? Can you see some bright spots? You, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, reaching people scattered throughout Italy. How can this be used for, for the good? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, Italy was the first place outside of China that had a kind of mass spread of infection. And it happened in a city that's about 30 minutes from where we live um, called Bergamo. Um, and to be honest, we just entered our third pretty, really, really strict lockdown where you have to fill out a form. If you leave your house, you have to have very specific reasons. The police do stop people and ask. It's not quite like the lockdowns that most of our American friends have been in. Well, uh, which is kind of like by the good of your conscience lockdowns. It's <laughs> it's real lockdowns that we faced. And so what that's done is it's it's moved all of our meetings online. Mm-hmm. We very quickly migrated to YouTube and to Zoom. And that's been, I mean, we've had, we had a few outdoor church surfaces with less than half the church, about 25% of the church, distance, mass, all that. That was like the the, the sparkling light of this uh, of this time. It was sort of the break the summer, for yeah. about six or eight weeks that we can meet outside between lockdowns. Um, but other than that, it's been all virtual, which, you know, we all are kind of aware of what that looks like. We The whole world is doing it at this point. So we know what that looks like. We know what that feels like. It has presented challenges um, in evangelistic work. I mean, our Bible talks, they're virtual. They're all online. It's not like I'm going and meeting hundreds of people on the street that I can invite or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So it's all through our friend networks. It's all through trying to find people on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or something like that. Um, But ultimately what we found is it's been an incredible opportunity to get people more connected because it's really been the great equalizer no longer is distance or situation or difficulty mm-hmm. um, getting to things uh, a reason why we can't be connected. It really is up to us. All you got to do is jump on a Zoom call, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what that's led to, I think, is a much closer and more connected on a day-to-day level um, in the church. And we've been able to sort of make connections and invest in relationships through with other brothers throughout Italy, uh, brothers and sisters throughout Italy. Um, and that's been really cool. We have, you know, the birth of a little church down in Napoli from a sister that was baptized. She's, uh, she, she just celebrated her 50th wedding anniversary with her husband. So you can imagine, um, you know, how, what age demographic she might be in, 
but she has a, a, a son who's a disciple out in California, another son who's a, a disciple up in the London church who just started dating one of our sisters here in the Milan church. So we're praying that he moves back here uh, or at least moves to, to, moves to, to, yeah, nobody's going to, they're not going to listen to this. No, <laughs> okay. the, uh, no, but I think um, it does, it has provided a lot of opportunities for us to be able to connect with people on a deeper level, spend more time with people as we overcome zoom fatigue and screen mm-hmm. fatigue um, but it has not been a walk in the park for sure. It's definitely been challenging. Okay. So if you could just go back and, and rethink your decision, would you change your mind? Would you still go on the mission field? Yes, we absolutely, absolutely. A hundred percent. No doubt there are, I mean, our kids were born here and I'm so glad they were. We've put seven years of our life and blood and sweat and tears into this church. And I'm so glad we have, we have made friends that we will have for the rest of our lives. We have seen God do miracles that we never would have seen. And we have grown so much in our marriage, in our walks with God, in our ability to be able to relate and serve. Um, There's been so much pruning and so much growth that's come from kind of putting it all out there and like living life right on the edge. it has been the edge at times. There have been times that we've just been like, I don't know if we can do this, you know, but it's not like it's been all like, yay. So glad we're here. (laughs) Go. You know, there've definitely been, definitely been moments where I felt like, okay, I, I don't, I don't have anything left in the tank. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have anything more in me. Um, and those are the moments that we need to figure out how to, really refill with God, get the refreshment that we need. Um, but I would, I would never go back and, and do it differently. And even that is an incredible lesson. I think we don't even realize on how many things we depend on other than God to feel comfortable, to feel uh, less stressed, to feel like there's so many things that we just kind of have in our lives, things that like that, that kind of can take up space in our thoughts, in our hearts. And what the mission field I think has done for us is removed a lot of that. And that can be very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I don't particularly enjoy Italian TV or, I, you know, I'll watch some, some college, some soccer and stuff like that. But for the most part, I mean, our lives look way different than they do in the, than, than when we were in the U S to the point where, when we do go back and we visit, we, it feels weird. It is we weird. don't, we've, we've been changed. We don't, we're not, yeah. we're no longer the same people. And I think that that is totally God refining us. And there's no other way to do that other than uh, putting yourself out there and yeah. allowing God to, 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 to put you through fire to refine your faith. And I'm so glad we've done it. We're, we're, we don't, we're, we're not ready to throw in the towel. We really want to see, you know, the work done. And I always say it's sort of a partnership here. You know, we have to be willing, church be willing to have us. Somebody's got to pay for it. But ultimately, God has to keep us here and direct our steps. But as long as all of those are in line, we really want to keep serving and we really want to keep being missionaries. And we want to encourage other people that have thought about missions or just thought about serving in bigger ways or going to do different places, things that are less comfortable for you, things that seem like, oh, I don't know about that, that scare us, that, that, that offer less security. 
those that's like stepping out of the boat and walking on water right and you can always look around and see all the waves and see all the wind and start to sink from it and retreat back into the boat but i find that the moments where i feel closest to god are the times when i know that god is really the only thing holding me up and i'm and i don't think i would have had those nearly as many of those experiences unless we said yes that's great if someone's listening and thinking, man, I'd, I'd really like to go on the mission field, whether it's Italy or some other country or Asia. What advice would you give them? Pray, pray, pray. <laughs> pray a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think God opens and closes doors. He's opening and closing countries with COVID. He's opening and closing church doors. I mean, there's so much going on in our world, but for someone who, if God has put the dream on your heart to be a missionary, he didn't do that for no reason. And I think really thinking about it and, but there, the, and, and really making sure that the motivation is right, because it's not about our own glory or about our own honor. But I do think it takes a special breed that to, be, to have that courage and have that desire to want to go on the mission field. And I would just encourage that person right now where you are, be a missionary. Yeah. Start there yeah. because you're not useful to God. <laughs> unless you really are living that missionary life, even right where you are, you are already on a mission field. That's my first thing. My second thing is pray that God opens a door and start looking and opening your eyes for doors. Yeah. And the honest truth is there are hundreds of churches all around the world that would love to have more people, young people specifically, older people with resources, whatever the case may be, that are ready to give and serve. And there is no church leader in the world that's going to say, no, don't come. I'm sending out a mission planting to Flagstaff, Arizona this summer, and it's exciting. I'm not actually leading it. I'm just helping to organize it and selecting the leader and the team, getting everyone going. What advice would you give to a mission team going out, you know, regardless of where you're going? What, how can people get prepared? What should they be thinking you already shared a little bit about, hey, be, be evangelistic right where you're at. Anything else you would say that could help the Flagstaff team in particular, but any other planting going out, be effective and get off to a good start? Yeah, I would, I would say one thing, um, whether it's to that team or anybody, um, any team or anybody wanting to go on the mission field would be also to seek training now. Um, get as much training as possible now, as much practice as possible now, training in studying the Bible with people, in converting people, in shepherding people, in your walk with God, your marriage, if you're married, your parenting, if you have kids, how to serve God and balance a career, just all the things, just get lots of training. Um, as well as if possible, I think it's great for a mission team to be able to have bonding time before going on the mission field, to be able to have just to start to build that family, start to build that unity. Um, and I, I think that's a really important thing is the family, the unity that it's not just a group of individuals, but it's a, it's, it's a family. It's a part of the body of Christ that then we invite people to join into. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, another thing that always comes to mind that I, I always remind myself and then I remind young people, people that go on the mission, it's the same thing Jesus said when the disciples came back to him and said, oh, 
demons submitted to us and you know we saw miracles and we did all these things in your name and 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 jesus is fired up he's like that's awesome but don't forget that you should rejoice that your names are written Mm -hmm. in heaven yeah and i think that's so important that we can be so results oriented and not realize that this is a long game right so you go on a mission team and you don't have a conversion or somebody else has a conversion but you don't and you don't feel effective and you don't feel useful you know, the longer you're there, the more that God is going to be able to use you. Mm-hmm. And so having that long view and reminding yourself, okay, I'm here because I'm just so grateful for what God has done for me. I'm here because man, my name is written in heaven. So if I, mm-hmm. if whatever I do to serve God, it's just gravy. It's just, it's, it's just an expression of my gratitude for what I already have and not allowing the day-to-day discouragement or encouragement, the results, the, how great the first year went, how, oh, we had COVID and now we can't do this. And now it's all, we can just push all of that aside and just go, man, like God chose us. He knew us from begin, like from before the creation of the world, we have inherited every spiritual blessing. Read Ephesians one, just the first part there and just name all the things that God says, like you are this and you're adopted and you've received this and you have this. And, and if you're able in your time with God every morning to be able to walk out the door or walk into your mission field, even if it's just under your computer right now and be able to, and be able to carry that with Mm -hmm. you, people are going to see it and want it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I feel like that's the most, that's the most important thing. Not everyone is going to baptize five people. The first time they go out and do something, everybody contributes. Everybody has different talents. Everybody has different gifts. Be an awesome, encouraging functioning member of the body and God is going to take care of the rest. And we need people that take care of our kids. We need people that just encourage us. We need people that teach. So, you know, that teach deep things and do deep Bible study. We need people that are just in the background praying all the time. They're the ones that are fighting the spiritual war before I've even woken up in the morning. I mean, we, a mission team, a church, God's kingdom, we need it all. And so whatever your place is, whatever your talents are, go try to go beyond them, but use every gift, use every opportunity, use every blessing for the kingdom of God. And at the end of the day, whatever the result is, go to bed knowing God loves me. He's accepted me into his kingdom. He's bestowed every blessing upon me. And I'm so grateful. And I can't wait to wake up tomorrow and serve him again. That's great advice. Thank you. When I was in Japan, toward the end of our 10 years there, I felt tired. I definitely felt tired, and I felt tired of being different. I felt tired of being the white guy in an Asian country and just looking different, sounding different, struggling with the language. After Even after 10 years of being there, just going, okay, when am I ever going to get this language where I don't have to struggle to understand? How, you know, that's definitely the you know, the mission fatigue, I felt, how do you guys deal with it? And what do you do to keep fired up and to stay strong when you're in a country that's that's not your own and in a culture that's not native to you and a language that's not native to you? That is a great question. And if someone out there has like a handbook, please send it to us. Uh, I can give you my address, Rob. If someone gets in contact with you, that'd be great. I really feel though it comes in waves. Yeah right? It does come, it comes in waves and we feel it at different times. 
we put the waves that are a little stronger. The waves are strong because there's the pandemic wave and those waves are kind of creating a little bit of tsunami. So we definitely miss home. We've been, we haven't been back in more than a year. We haven't seen our friends in, in more than two years. A lot of our friends have had kids that we haven't even met yet. And so we feel all that for sure. Every day we feel those things. The way that I, I mean, the, I, just this, this, the beginning of this year, I was really feeling it. And I went, what I, I just need, I, I, first of all, I need to get up and get out of the house and go for a walk and reflect and pray to my God. I need to recommit mm-hmm. to my God in that. And that's de- definitely done a lot, but also just staying connected to friends that inspire you, mm-hmm. that really help you. We don't live in a world where you go to Japan and you can't talk to anyone anymore. That was a thing back in the day. And we had a whole generation of missionaries that really left their lives behind. Mm-hmm. We're blessed to be able to get on a FaceTime with anyone almost at any moment and be able to get encouragement. Mm-hmm. And that's not weakness. That's necessary. Yeah. That's needed. Yeah. And so we should take advantage of those things. And that's what we've been trying to do. I think even yeah. just this past Sunday, watching the services from the Boston church, they did some special men's woman services, just finding. I, I wept the entire yeah. women's service. Yeah, these kinds of <laughs> the things. The announcements at the beginning. Yeah, I was weeping just the announcements already. Made I was week. like, oh. It's, but the, 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 the missionary fatigue is real. It is ever present. We deal with it in waves. Um, but I think always remembering why we're here and remembering that it was God that opened this door and not, you know, by our own, uh, by our own design that we ended up here, Mm -hmm. remembering our purpose. And then also like, sometimes I just make a list of all the things that God has done. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I try to think of all the things that God could and will do. Mm-hmm. And that just really inspires me and motivates me. And the last thing I'll say on my list is I just I I, I love just to get around the brothers and sisters that we've invested our lives yeah. here, like yeah. in 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 whom we've invested our lives. And it's it's just such so rewarding to see the bonds, yeah. to yeah. feel that that love, to have there, Rachel had a, a little bit of a, an eye thing for which we had to go to the emergency room, the whatever, the eye emergency room. I got a cornea scratch. Yeah, she got a scratch right on her eye Christmas. just a little while ago. And we, you know, that was, you know, this is normal things, semi-normal things that happen. But I remember, you know, calling a sister and being like, can you come pick us up and drive us? And she's like, oh, you shouldn't go to that hospital. You should go to this hospital because this is where they have this. And she just took care of us. And at the end of it, I, you know, we dropped Rachel off. She got in bed. I went to say, send off the sister. And I, and I told her, you know, I'm so grateful for you. You were, you were like family for us tonight. Mm -hmm. And she looked back at me with kind of tears in her eyes and says, if it weren't for you guys, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have eternal life. I wouldn't know God. And so, and, 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 and I just went, that's, that's it. Like we are, we, we are, she said, I'm not, we're not like family. We are family. Wow. And, and that, and those are the moments that come that make it worth it. And that help us help us deal with some of that fatigue is because we, we feel and see the reward. Those, Those are the kinds of moments that when people ask me, Oh, when are you coming back? Or, you know, during COVID, we get emails from the American State Department every other week saying, oh, it's gotten worse. You better get on a plane and come back. And I'm like, no, no, I better not. I better stay here, you know, not because there's a mission, but also because we we love this church and we love these people. We're not, this is not the time to leave. You know, if 
if God makes it clear that it's, that it's the time to leave or to, to plant a church somewhere else in Italy or do something else, then okay, you know, we'll obviously we'll trust God's plan and surrender to God's plan. But yeah, it's. And it's not for everybody. Some people are more able to learn language. Some people are more able to assimilate into culture. There's nothing wrong with you if you can't. It's, it's just a different spiritual gift from God. And we've been blessed with some linguistic abilities. We do pretty well. It's still hard sometimes. I, I think this year, one amazing blessing that I feel like God granted me in COVID that I did not know I was even praying for is I finally, after six years, have started to feel like I can pray sincerely in Italian. Mm. Like it's not so forced, but I can sincerely pray in Italian. And that actually makes a huge difference for me to be able to pray in the mother tongue language of my sisters with them mm. and feel like I can really be expressing my heart to God in, in a language that they understand for me that that's yeah. really important. When you do go through those walls, there is a reward on the other side. And we definitely feel more assimilated and, and more, uh, more able to sort of be in this culture the longer we're in it. Yeah. So what helps with mission fatigue? Walk with God, prayer, the love of the, the church <laughs> here, trusting God. That's Embrace great. it. Yeah. Thank you so <laughs> much. Refreshment and inspiration. John and Rachel, thank you so much for joining the program today. And I, I'm inspired by what you're doing. I'm going to be praying for the work in Italy. And I know it's a challenging field and you need a lot of encouragement, but you're inspiring people around the world just by sharing your lives today. Thanks for the stories. Thank you, thank you for what you've gone through and love you so much. And we'll, I'll definitely be thinking about you. We've made a connection today. I look forward to strengthening that bond going forward. Love you. you. Thank you for having us on the podcast and thank you for doing the podcast because it's one of the things that inspires us and keeps us going. Thank you. And I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, let me ask you a favor. Hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life and multiply disciples, leaders and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.